of the frame i'm your host connor reed and here's your other host john skinner hey creed i'm uh, really glad to be here to discuss apocalypse now end of list i thought you were gonna like do a standard read and then break off and then send me a more emotional message and that's what was going to get me to reveal my identity and where i am oh that's how he finds his dad in the movie i, I don't understand the logistics of this movie at all let me be frank with you We'll talk about it. So for those of you listening in for the first time, we are not a space podcast. We are a film podcast. We pick a subject or theme and explore films related to those topics. Our overall goal is to encourage the general public to view film as more than just a piece of entertainment, but also a piece of art and something to discuss and explore. We're still in our retelling or ripoff series where we are focusing on films that maybe slightly borrow and pay homage to previous films beforehand or films that directly steal from them. And for this week, we are covering Ad Astra. Again, a more recent film. I know this is probably, aside from our 2010s series, a record for doing this many recent films in a row. But this is an interesting one. This is one of the ones that John was really pushing for where we are comparing this to Apocalypse Now. And I know it gets a little bit murky because Apocalypse Now is technically based off of a book, Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad, but we think there is enough similarities between this film and the other film that it counts. Also, I want to rip it apart, so it's our podcast. (laughs) We can do what we want. Yeah, so John picked this film even though he hates it, or maybe because he hates it, which I guess is also kind of why we picked Joker too. But before we get into any of that sort of discussion, I will start us off with a short summary of the film. Roy McBride is an astronaut in the near future who is assigned a classified case to head to Neptune to investigate a series of plasma emissions that have been wrecking havoc on Earth. He is told that the potential cause of this could be his father who was assigned on a mission to Neptune but disappeared. Roy goes to the moon and is attacked by pirates. They escape and Roy boards another shuttle headed towards Mars. They encounter a ship with monstrous baboons and the captain is killed. Upon entering Mars's atmosphere, the new pilot freaks out and Roy takes over. His new mission is to send out a personal message to his father to locate his whereabouts. He continues to send these messages until one day he breaks away from the script and addresses his father directly. After that, he is shaken up and fails his psyche vow. An attendant there tells him that his father killed the other members of the crew and that the government is going to kill his father. Roy is taken off the mission due to his instability. He sneaks away and climbs aboard the shuttle to Neptune. When he is discovered, he accidentally kills the entire crew. He spends months alone until he spots his father's ship. He boards and finds the dead crew along with the array sending out the plasma bursts. He convinces his father to leave and plants nukes on the ship. Out in space, his father pulls them away from the ship to die. Roy lets his father go and makes it back to the ship right as the other one explodes. He returns home and reconnects with his wife. So my two words for this film are overexplained ambiguity, because I feel like 
in a lot of ways, this movie is very loose. It doesn't really hold your hand visually in what is going on. But there is this consistent Brad Pitt voiceover that just totally takes over everything and really takes away from the inferred moments. And I honestly think this movie would be 10 times better without the voiceover in it. If he just left it up to what was going on in the frame, I feel like it would feel more introspective as well. Like half the stuff that the Roy McBride character says in voiceover, I just feel like is not necessary to what's going on. It's just weird. I just don't understand it. Yeah, my two words are pointless beauty because this movie is beautiful. Um, but it's like, why? Especially when you look at Apocalypse Now, everything, any small thing that this movie ends up almost accidentally doing right it ends up being wasted and it, it doesn't seem like it serves any purpose. I agree with you on the narration. It's bizarre. And especially in comparison to, I forgot how much narration is in Apocalypse Now and how important it is, but it's confusing. Like there's a lot of parts of this movie that are like, he'll say something and it's like, what is he talking about? Like he's not clear. Or, and then sometimes it's very, very obvious, but none of it really feels like it has any point. I just felt that this movie was completely aimless. You know me. I, I, I love a good road trip movie. I lo love a good movie where you're going from A to B and there's a journey. Um, this movie fails to... All, all the things about that type of movie that I love, this movie fails at. And there's no sense of journeying into anything, even though space should not be that hard to kind of seem like you're descending into something, right? Darkness, uh, chaos, whatever. There's no escalating anything. It just seems like a series of vignettes like, oh, we have to have a bunch of different episodes like they did in Apocalypse Now, but none of them really seem like they play off each other at all. And the only thing that makes any progress whatsoever is that you have these super obvious narration parts going on where he just tells you what he's feeling. I think it just completely bombs at the end because of that. The ending is very disappointing. You're building up to this relation, this um, reconciliation or or non-reconciliation with the father and it kind of just lands flat especially compared to apocalypse now which is maybe not a fair comparison since that's a great movie and this is not and of course it's going to look bad but i just think watching these back to back my my story with this is i saw it was probably the worst movie watching experience in a theater i've ever had i thought rewatching it would make it better but no it's still pretty terrible that's the craziest thing that how is that the worst do you just mean like expectation levels or do you mean overall theater-going experience? Because I feel like those are two different things. Both. The fun I had in the theater. The experience I had in the theater. I went in with pretty high expectations. But I don't see very many movies in theaters, so when I go, it's a surefire hit. And I trust Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> and you don't. Boo. So I always know there's a certain floor to what I see. And this was a weird one where it had a positive... Positive... Critical. Critical reaction. And then... Somewhat positive. And then the audience was just... It was one of these leftover Fox movies with Disney, but I don't blame them at all. It was just We should nothing. do a whole series on a point that refutes this of bad, highly rated Rotten Tomatoes movies. Yeah. Well, in, in some sense... <laughs> Except I don't want to give Rotten Tomatoes that much dignity. <laughs> there's plenty of dignity. Rotting fruit has lots of dignity. It's hard to describe my overall feeling other than just disappointment. This is just a disappointing movie. Mm. It should be better than this. Even just doing an, a straight ripoff 
of Apocalypse Now in space should be better than this, and it's not. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like, too, we've gotten really lucky in the last decade of having just really great, I wouldn't even say hard sci-fi, but more like realistic sci-fi of stuff like Gravity, Interstellar. This isn't really sci-fi, but first, uh, good space movies, you know. Yeah, good space movies. Yeah, First Man, all of that sort of stuff. Great. Moon. I don't really like Moon, and that was the previous decade. I love Moon. I love Moon. <laughs> I was assuming this was going to be added to the the good space movies canon, and it and it failed. Yeah, me that, too. I because it it feels like it rips off all of them. Like it doesn't do anything that they don't do better somewhere. Yeah, I had really like you. I had really high hopes for this, and I was really expecting it to be something great and like one of my new favorite movies and i remember watching it because it was right before the oscars and uh it was nominated and so we were trying to you know get through everything and renting this and we'd always try to do like a movie night with those and so we had a couple of friends over and yeah i just remember the tone in the room like afterwards everyone was just like huh that wasn't really what i was expecting and i know that the whole there's the whole thing with like the trailer where like the trailer shows this like action packed, like, you know, high intensity thing. I don't even think I'd seen the trailer. I think I just heard, hey, it's a slow space movie with Brad Pitt. I'm like, sign me up. Sounds great. Love Brad Pitt. Love space movies. Let's go. I knew going in that the, the action scene was not the like that there wasn't a lot of action and I was totally fine with it. And actually, when I watched it, I didn't hate it in the theater. I was in the car with my brother and my my dad. And we were like talking and I kind of dawned on me that that was a terrible movie. It took a little bit because you're reacting to this, right? It's a very emotional movie. And then you get to the end and you're like processing. And and then I got to the point of like, yeah, that was that was a bad movie. And it didn't stick with me at all after that. There was a lot of parts that I had forgotten and I haven't it hasn't been that long since I saw it. I don't know if I'd say it's a bad movie. I would just say it's like it's kind of mediocre. You know, I think there are like aggressively elements mediocre. of it that are really good. Yeah. I mean, I think the whole first half of the movie is great. What really loses me is Mars onward because all of the stuff on the moon, the moon chase scene is incredible. I love all that sort of stuff. But as soon as it's just like the, the really long segment of him sending the messages to his dad and then going back to the calming room, that's just kind of where it loses me. It feels like you're taking a nap and then the movie never picks up again. Mm -hmm. There's two things that the first half, I think, don't work for me. One, the whole psych eval thing. There's some weird world building going on here, Mm -hmm. right? First of all, space antenna doesn't make a lick of sense. We didn't mention it in this summary, but at the beginning, there's this big space antenna. It's supposed to be measuring something to see if there's aliens and it collapses. And that's how they know that this calamity is happening is because this thing happens where the waves hit it or whatever and that doesn't make any sense why is there a space antenna that that makes absolutely no, just put it in space right like there's no reason for it to be connected to earth second of all the world building overall is very strange because at moments it wants to feel like a contemporary 2001 in terms of look there's a moon base look there's oh look there's a hardy's on the moon like isn't that funny lazy cultural criticism but it's very unclear what kind of world this is. There's sort of a, a lurking dystopia that's hinted at with the whole psychoval thing. This idea that... It's kind of Blade Runner, like Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. With Blade Runner, you really get a lot of world building where you get the sense of this... It's a fully fleshed out world and you understand why there's these tests. 
that's it. It's just the test. It's just like, hey, we're testing you if you're too emotional. Okay, is that because he's an astronaut? Or is it because that's the way the society is? Society is obsessed. But then it's combined with a lot of like lazy storytelling, like, oh, let's have him watch news or let's have him watch whatever that makes it seem very contempt, very of today. And so it's it should have gone one way or the other. It should have been like one of these near future movies where it's just our society, right? Plus 10 years or whatever. And it just feels like a critique of us very directly. Or it should have gone towards let's build this sci-fi dystopian future and it's oh and then space com is evil but there's all these points right that 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 are pulled from apocalypse now and and this is part of my thing is like i i do think it's pulled from apocalypse now it's not pulled from the book because you have all the meeting with the generals that's very much like pulled from oh at the very beginning yes that scene is like directly 100 from it but whereas with apocalypse now it's vietnam it's a it's a familiar setting you have this sort of subversion of that where they're meeting in a house right there's sort of a casualness to the meeting that's kind of off and and they're eating and like they're eating yeah there's a strangeness to it but but it's coming from a place we know what to expect and then you can subvert from that this is like what is the point like what is the the society that we live in it's not explained at all and i don't think the director had a good idea what was going on I think he just wanted to put that stuff in there and say, oh, they're testing for emotion. It doesn't seem like there's anything behind the facade. There's no world behind the doors that we're not seeing, right? That really drags the beginning because it's like, okay, is this this weird idiocracy on the moon where, oh, look, we've ruined the moon by putting a mall there? But then there's a Wild West outside. It There's like cool stuff like, oh, let's, let's have airport runway signs uh, marking the, the paths on the moon that visually look kind of cool, but then you think about it for two seconds, it makes no sense <laughs> in any sort of consistent world building. So there's a very lazy world building going on in the first half. The other thing is basically everything's just pulled from Apocalypse Now or from another movie, and it, it's very uneven because of that. Yeah, I know. I think I am leaning a bit more towards ripoff because it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't really feel like He's trying to play, pay homage to it. It feels like he's just trying to take it and put it in this. But I'm actually going to kind of compare this to Joker. But I think that this does it a lot better than Joker does, where I think he's just going in with this story that he wants to tell of like a father-son relationship. And then it's like, okay, well, what can we do to like show the expanse between the two of them? Oh, let's put space between them. Maybe his father's gone downhill and has kind of lost it. Okay, how can they get... How can his son get in the mindset of that? Oh, well, it'll be like Apocalypse Now. And he just kind of degrades along the way. Yes, he went backwards on his logic on what to do. Right. But like Joker is like, I want to tell the story about this individual falling into, you know, insanity and crime and that whole sort of thing. I'm just going to put it in a superhero character and then also put it in a 70s Scorsese movie. And it just doesn't accomplish that well at all. Well, I think... This tackles it a bit better, and I can feel a little bit more of what he's trying to do. And John, I don't know if you feel this way, but I think my frustration with this film is I feel like it's so close to being a movie that I absolutely love, and it just doesn't quite get there. Yeah, it feels like it falls short, but then it falls back all the way to the ground, like you're in space or whatever. 
Actually, that's not how space works. Well, and I but can't yeah. really pin yeah. what it is, too. Like, that's the weird thing about this movie. I can't really pin what it is that doesn't make it entirely work for me. I mean, I know the voiceover is one thing. My other big gripe with it is totally lose the wife subplot. Does not need to be in there whatsoever. That's not what, like, ties me to his character at the end or any of that. I, I don't know if that's supposed to show that he actually does have emotions. I don't really know what that's for. But I feel like this movie needs to be more simplified. But just overall, I don't really know what my problem with this movie is. I think the problem with this movie is that the central relationship isn't in any way reflected in the journey whatsoever. Yes, there's space between them. And then that's it. Apocalypse Now is so effective because, A, it's a familiar setting, right? It's, a, it's Vietnam. We sort of have a sense that you're going into the jungle, into darkness, it's an incredible, simple thing that's drawn. He's being drawn towards this character. B, you do have narration in Apocalypse Now, but it's him describing documents and basically sort of starting to empathize with Kurtz. And as he's being drawn into madness, he's sort of feeling sympathy for the guy and explaining, learning about him, right? There's nothing for him to learn about his father. I guess there's a little bit of like, oh yeah, he killed some people, but it's, it's clunkily done. It's done in fits and starts. And so most of the movie is like, okay, here's a monkey scene. Oh, that's bad. You can get killed in space. Space is dangerous. Oh, but now we're flying again. Now we're on the Mars. Oh, he panics. Like it's, it doesn't feel like you're going farther and farther into space at all. Because frankly, he's so committed to this vague realism that it's basically like long journey to base. Stay at base. Hitch ride on spaceship. Now he's alone because he killed everyone accidentally. Like, that's it. Like, there's no, there's not enough episodes. There's not enough a sense. The different chapters, the different episodes do not give you a sense of gradual anything. Nothing's changing gradually. There's just, this is one thing that happened. Here's another thing that happened. So it's a long movie and it's pretty and it's just showing you pretty pictures and they have nothing to do with the character other than a vague sense of abstract isolation. And it's not changing. It doesn't change till the end. And then he just, everything happens at once, basically, at the end. And he decides, actually, my father had missed the beauty of these empty planets. Okay, that's not satisfying at all. Yeah, it is kind of weird where you don't really understand, especially the whole meetup at the end with him and his father is so strange. The thing I don't understand is, is his father lying about the plasma dish thing? How did how did whatever the crewmates did make this giant weapon, basically? And why did it not get... What do you do? John's doing something with his hands. Magic, magic, space, explain away powers. It's, it's, they just tell you, and then that's it. Yeah, what are they doing? And why is it only just now reaching Earth? That's the thing that I don't really don't understand. Because his dad's been gone for like, how long? Like 15 years or something like that? I might be off on that, but like years. Yeah. Like a long time. Everything you can figure out about the story and the timeline is told to you directly. Also, him, his dad having a black and white photo makes, do, doesn't make any sense. He's not, from, he's not from current day. Like, he's our age now, probably, his dad. Anyway, like a lot of the stuff, it's just like, oh, it'd be cool if he looks old and there's a black and white photo. Why is there a black and white photo? They didn't have black... Your timeline is messed up. Yeah. But yeah, things are told to you directly like, yeah, they've been out there for a while. Why have they been out there for 15 years? That's bizarre and very strange and uh, 
None of this makes sense. Yeah, it's the only way I can answer your question is by directly telling you what they said in the movie. There's nothing beyond the explaining exposition done directly through dialogue. There's no greater world beyond that. Right. The relationship between him and the dad just doesn't compel me either. And I think that's the other thing. And what also doesn't make sense is they don't really clearly lay out his mission at the very beginning because they make it seem like he's going all the way to the end, which I'm like, if your plan is to kill him, why are you sending his son all the way to the end of it? Because it's when he's on Mars that they're like, okay, you're taking off this mission. I'm like, no, just tell him that Mars is the end of his mission. How did they figure out where he was? That's what I want to know. So they send out the radio messages, and then I think his dad responds to one of them. Or I think he picks up one of them. I'm not entirely certain. Well, him picking it up would not show a signal, so none of that makes any sense. That whole part doesn't make any sense. You know, I think there is a part that he responds, because that's whenever Brad Pitt is like, you know, what did he say? What does it say? What is it? And that's whenever they take him out. And put him in the calming room, which seems like the most stressful room you could put anyone in. It reminds me, it's the Black Mirror episode where they're in the society, the dystopian society in the future where they have to ride the bike to earn points. And then they go into their rooms and their entire room is a giant TV. Yeah. And honestly, that's one of the better parts. In, like there's little individual parts that are like, yeah, that's cool. That's that's what a Mars base would have to be like because it's so desolate. But then that desolation seems to po- to serve nothing it's too alien it's too foreign and it's this weird uncanny valley between familiar contemporary setting and super futuristic and then you're just spending all your time confused same thing with the relationship with between him and his dad right apocalypse now is so compelling as he journeys into the jungle because it's like who is this guy like what is his motivation why did he do that and honestly you get there at the end He's still confusing. He's he's still an enigma, and you you're still not like. Is he a good guy? No, but but is he? Even when you're looking at him, that performance is so wonderful that you're just like staring into a confusing abyss, and it's compelling. It feels like the only way you could end that story, right? Is further strangeness, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas this, okay, their father son, so. You'd think that would be the opposite, right? They have a lot of familiarity, and then then you don't have to explain everything, but they don't know each other. And so the same beats, same story beats, pulling from Apocalypse Now, where, oh, he's learning bits and pieces from him, it's not compelling because it's like you sort of know who he is. There's not a question of like motivation, right? Because it's not clear that it's his fault that this is happening. So it's just not nearly as compelling when you learn more about his dad. Except maybe the hope of reconciliation, which that's why it lands with a thud. Because you have this ambiguity and then you have it collapsed. Everything's ambigu- ambiguous and then they explain it. There's no like journey into learning, uh, like a journey into madness or having knowledge gleaned from different things happening. And so it just drags. It drags, especially past Mars. It just drags so much. And also, his relationship with all of the people that he's with is so boring. It's like the boat crew in Apocalypse Now, you get to know the characters, you get to care about them as you're journeying down the river. And you get them to see them interact as a crew with other people, and it's compelling. This is just like, here's, this, here's these people, and he never gets to know them. 
we never get to know them. And then they die. And like, this movie also kills people way earlier in a way where Apocalypse Now held off to sort of make you feel the dread. Then they start carrying out characters. You feel like they're safe in Apocalypse Now because they've made it that far. And you're like, oh, so no one's going to die then. And then just like everyone dies in five minutes. And it's crazy. Yeah, for different reasons. Yeah. And then they, they get attacked by... by yeah, they get sticks thrown at them and they think they're safe and then they get impaled. Like there's a danger there. And even though space is dangerous and so it should be easy to show that space is dangerous, it's not done in a way that makes you feel like the farther he's to space he goes, the more hazard there is. You're literally five seconds after you just saw an Applebee's on the moon and then people get killed. And so this like it's supposed to be the sense of as soon as you're outside civilization, you're in danger, but it does not create a compelling journey anywhere close to Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Because it's unpredictable. Like It's just like, okay, they're going to kill people sometimes. Sometimes they won't. Space is dangerous. It's going to continue to being dangerous. It's not getting any more dangerous, even though it should be getting more dangerous. They're getting farther and farther away from support systems and bases and places they can get rescued, but, in, but you don't get any of that from this movie. Well, and two big problems that I feel like this movie faces is one, Apocalypse Now for Martin Sheen's character. This is like a little weird to say, but I feel like in some ways he's kind of the voice of a generation of these people that were thrown over in Vietnam, had no clue what they were doing, and then just totally were tormented and twisted into this shape and just both wanting to go home so badly and then both just wanting to stay there too because it did like sucked so much out of them and you get that even though john neither you or i have ever had any sort of experience like that whatsoever you relate to it and you get that like with that first scene and the first initial voiceover and you're like okay i know where this guy stands i know what his mission is i i know what his mental state is too and you just don't really have that for this because it doesn't feel like as universal as a thing in some ways, just because the relationship between him and his father is so weird that it just doesn't feel as relatable. The big issue I feel is you don't really see the degradation of his character until that last little bit after he leaves on Mars. So basically what Apocalypse Now does in like two and a half hours, this movie does in 30 minutes. And that's what I think doesn't work about this. Degradation of who? The dad? Of Roy. Of the Brad Pitt character. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't start happening until, like, he kind of freaks out in the booth. And then all the stuff on the ship. And then him getting to his dad. And it just kind of resolves so quickly that it doesn't feel like... Whenever Martin Sheen kind of snaps back at a a little bit towards the end. But then is also just so far gone as well. And you're like, oh, yep. That's, like, what it does to you. Like, no one kind of wins. And it's kind of weird that Brad Pitt wins in this. And Earth wins. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like the win is like, is it a good thing that they that he killed him at the end or no? Like that's the question is, is it worth finishing the mission? But also, like you said, it's a voice of a generation. This is a a generational experience that they that they're playing off of and using that to tell this specific story in a new way, which is very uh, well done. Obviously, this feels like he's working through his story. And his dad, and he has a bad relationship with his dad, and he needs to just go to therapy instead of making this movie. And so, if you don't have that experience, it's just like, okay, dude, I get it. 
you have problems with your dad. It doesn't feel like a universal experience. And like you said, it's be- partially because we're not seeing him move from one thing to another. He's sort of silent. And then I feel like they had to plug in the narration so that he wasn't completely inscrutable for the first two thirds. And then that last third, he just has a mental breakdown and then kills some people. And then he's alone and he's sad that he's alone. And it's like, he's not wrestling with his dad's decisions at all. That's what that is. Apocalypse Now, he's wrestling like, what is this guy doing? Why was he doing this? Why? Right? This is just like implied, why did my dad leave me? Right? What's the point of my dad leaving me? What was it for? But I guess it was worth him leaving because he got picture, pretty pictures of planets that they could have gotten anywhere. What does this thing do that the James Webb Space Telescope doesn't do? That's what I want to know. It just sees further out, I guess. Why is it a manned mission? None of this makes any sense. And so because you're not going from a familiar story, there's just a lot of confusion and emptiness mm-hmm. instead of creeping dread as you go into space. And I just remember sitting at the end of this and I'm like, what is this movie trying to say? I don't really understand it because is it saying get over your bad relationship with your father? Is it trying to say move on and get a relationship with a significant other? Is it trying to say pursue career goals? Is it trying to say save the earth? Like there's so many different things that it's playing with that. I just don't know what the streamlined answer is to that. Is it just an experience that we're supposed to feel? Is it just an emotional catharsis? I don't really know. I really don't because you don't have that buildup at the end where he's like letting his dad go whenever he's doing that. Like, wait, is he trying to kill his son too? What is happening? Because you don't even realize that he has like a jetpack or a way to get back or anything like that. He just starts to like fly off. And I'm like, what? Why why is he doing that? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Whereas in with gravity, the George Clooney and Sandra Bullock character and like that letting go scene is so intense and so heart-wrenching and you totally understand why it happens i get that his dad wants to be with the stars why doesn't his dad just unhook himself and then fly off i mean maybe that's a bit more of a nitpicky cinema sin sort of an answer or a question but you know this movie somehow everything about it it tells you way less about the characters about the story and yet somehow explains everything in a blunt way that ruins it the kurtz equivalent right the dad Somehow they ruin him by telling you, oh, yeah, he killed a bunch of people like the, the, it collapses the mystery while telling you way less about him, which is crazy. I think one way to interpret this movie is it's sort of a parable about losing faith. Like his dad is sort of God and he's going out and he's reaching out towards the transcendent. And the lesson at the end is stop looking at the sky. Earth is all that matters, which is a pretty disappointing story. And, and, and space is a pretty... The wonder of space, the wonder of exploration has always been a way to explore just the vague sense of transcendence, too. All these other movies we're talking about do that way better instead of this sort of blunt, like, it it just sort of feels like you're being, either it's completely confusing, or if you start to figure out, oh, I think I'm getting preached to. It's either you're confused, and then all that ever breaks through that confusion is being told bluntly something, and it's like, it's not great. And that's what I think is I think this is sort of like, stop trying to be your dad, be yourself, stop trying to reach God, care about Earth, because why he looks back towards Earth, that's that's what he should go back to. And so it's sort of incredibly anticlimactic, because it's a the whole lesson is 
after mumbling through the entire story, it's like, actually, none of this mattered. Stay at home. It's like, yeah, it's not a compelling ending at all. He's just predicting COVID. Stay at home. Stay at home. Also, we got to talk about we got to talk about the surfing scene. Surfing? Oh, him flying through Neptune's rings. This movie, this director, he talked over and over and over and over when the movie was coming out, like how realistic this movie was, right? This is the most realistic space movie ever made. And then he does, he eyeballs his angle to jump back to his spaceship, which is the most absurd Jimmy Neutron in space nonsense I've ever (laughs) seen in a movie. And I think that's, you've got these two twin clunkers of, A, the relationship is a huge disappointment. B, the logic of space realism completely falls apart at the end. And it's like, what was this all for? I feel like the realism is more in the commerce of space than the physics. With a lot of the technology and a lot of like the way that it's handled, that it's like more of a military operation and all of that sort of stuff, that... That seems like more plausible to me and like the solar. What I was thinking at the beginning of this was I just feels like he watched a lot of Kurtzkazat before making this movie. <laughs> I was like, I kind of want to make a movie about this. I want to make a movie about that because he plays with some of those principles, which I really like. He puts some pl- fun, fun toys in there, but there's nothing behind it. Yeah, there's no larger world. You know, a g- good world building is like the tops of peaks the tops of mountains peeking out through the the clouds, right? And you can see the hint of the world underneath. There's none of that here. He just did this thing and that thing and this thing. And they don't tie together in any implied way whatsoever. And then the logic doesn't isn't there. The physics is not there. None of it makes sense, even though it's sci-fi. Sci-fi is supposed to say something about us, but it's not clear what it's saying about us, right? It it doesn't seem like a, there's any sort of societal, overwhel- overarching societal critique. It's a bunch of small, like, I don't like how p- men, it feels like you can't feel emotion, I guess. They're, we should not build malls on the moon. Like, they're just not, they're not related critiques. They're just like little things he thinks are funny observations or, or important things to say. And, and it just, the thing that I wrote down, and this is my quote from this movie. Sorry, I have a couple things. Can I? So one thing, it's, I just got to my written down two words. I'm going to change my two words. Okay. Aimless patchwork. It's roughly what I said, but aimless patchwork. And the quote I wrote down is, I have never seen a movie that is less than the sum of its parts by so much than this movie. Hmm. In what way? Uh, the visuals and the music and the talking and, and the, the specific moments have the, the, like, the cadence that something profound is happening, but it's completely empty. You say that this is so close to being a perfect movie. In a sense, I'm not it saying is that it's you, close to being a perfect movie. Not perfect, perfect. A movie that you love, mm-hmm. right? And and I think in a sense, if you like are totaling up like, oh, if this this thing happening is is five units or whatever, right? If you were to put math on this, right? And you're stacking up these wonderful little moments and these beautiful shots and it feels like you're getting close to whatever that line is of I love this movie. But when you actually look at the movie as a whole, it's like really, really small. And, and it, it just wastes all these things because none of them work together whatsoever. It's just empty. Mm. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons why I also say I feel like I'm so close to loving it is because my two favorite hyper-specific genres are slow westerns and introspective space movies. And what's really ironic is, well, one, that 
I don't like this. And then I don't like Slow West. <laughs> so it's the two of those that I feel like I should love. And I don't really. I also feel like I need to rewatch Slow West because I was not in a great place whenever I watched it the first time. But I love Michael Fassbender and I love Slow Westerns. So it seems like I should love it. The movie that I would most closely compare this to is The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward. Don't you even. If that movie had boring characters, only one of them you even got to meet, and it was all pointless, right? Right. If If you had that movie without a compelling story, without compelling characters or drama, it's just nothing. That's what this movie feels like. Because that's a perfect movie. I have a couple of small things. Okay. Just little nitpicks, but okay. let's do our cinema sins section. No, Maybe I don't want to do a cinema sins sections. I don't want to no, no, give another segment to them. This is our airing of grievances. <laughs> the moon airstrikes are cool. Yeah. That was the one part I really liked. Moon airstrikes were cool. This is our festivist this, section then. This festivist section. The list, listing of grievances. There's supposed to be spacecom intrigue, and it's never clear what it is. Maybe that he's trying, they're going to kill the dad. That's not surprising. It's not clear. Like, okay, I guess it's implied. Oh, yeah, they're going to kill the dad. That's so obvious at the beginning, though, right? Yes. They're, they're trying to hide this. The thing that is like told right at the beginning of Apocalypse Now, they're trying to be like, are we going to kill him? It's like humanity's at stake. They're going to, of course, going to freaking kill him if they have to, right? Like, it's not compelling, but it's like, don't trust them. You know, uh, they're using me. The, I know it. Sutherland's character is like, why are you here? Who are you? Like, what is going on? And they're using you. For what? It never is explained, and it's never, it's never compelling. Uh, other thing. Monkey scene is good, but what's the point, right? Mm-hmm. What's the point? Space monkey is dangerous. See, monkey do. We, had, we had to bring in a monkey to, to tell you that space is dangerous. What a weird first thing to show. Wild West on the moon makes no sense. But cool. Water's on Mars? I feel like this is a big deal. Water on Mars. I can't tell if they pumped that in or if it was already there. Is that like... From the spaceship taking off, I guess. I think so. An emptying pond. That's the only thing that makes sense. But they don't address it. The ship fight where everyone dies is so dumb. So dumb. Yeah, it is really dumb. This is where I get like the vague, like, is this like an explicitly atheist movie? Because you have this crew, some of which have been shown to be religious and and doing the, the ceremony of the funeral ceremony for the captain. And then they all turn into monsters and try and kill him. And then he accidentally kills them. And it's like, these guys are a threat. Nothing like that happens in Apocalypse Now. And it's not, the whole scene is stupid. Because you haven't even gotten to know those characters. Are they bad or good? It sort of seems like the movie treats them with a vague contempt that's not interesting at all. That's stuff like that where the exact moments in this movie that draws you in, the equivalent in Apocalypse Now draws you in, are the moments that bore you the most in this movie. Well, I think one of my grievances is, and I think this is another key one, because like we've been saying, the voiceover is the big problem. One of the big problems in this is, why do you need the voiceover and the psyche valve? Just throw out the voiceover and just keep the psyche evaluation, because that says enough. That's what they do in Blade Runner 2049, and it works great. I don't understand it. But I also think, too, one of the reasons why they put that in there is maybe is this kind of a, Blade Runner situation, but apparently they did a footage test and it was received very, very poorly. So they did a bunch of reshoots. And so I wonder if the voiceover was added because of that as like a studio note. It does feel like a studio ruined movie, but it doesn't feel like it was ruined from being good. 
but James Gray, like, I mean, I listened to a ton of interviews with him and he never talks about, oh, yeah, they made us do the voiceover. They made us. And maybe that's like contractually like he can't say that or he's just trying to stay under good graces. But, yeah, I don't know, because he said, yeah, there was a bit of studio interference, but it doesn't say like what it is. And so I wonder if that's part of it. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Also, I think this movie really goes to show how much a director has their hand in voiceover acting. Because if you compare this with Brad Pitt's voiceover in Tree of Life, completely different. Amazing, amazing voiceover in Tree of Life. And this does not reach anywhere near that. Like, it feels like he's trying to do a Martin Sheen impression, but it's just weird. I don't get it. It's not well written and it's Mm -hmm. not well performed. Yeah. The moon launch music is basically the music from Apocalypse Now. John, it has your your unsmooth slow-mo that you like. Hashtag bring it back. Don't bring it back. Get out of here, M. Night. Why are they going to Neptune to try and find life? I already talked about that, but that just is like nothing makes sense with the science whatsoever. So it, it tries to be like big boy, hop in the big boy shoes of hard sci-fi that came before, but it just it doesn't know what it's doing in space. My big thing with this, honestly, and this is my hot take for this, I feel like both of you and I have wonderful fathers. Yes. List of the podcast. Hello, Dad. Yeah. Hi, Dad. And so I don't think Father's Day have... just happened. So yeah, ha- Happy Father's this Day. This one's to you, Dads. This this movie, Sad Destra Sad. is for you. Um, hey, there's your joke. Haha, uh, best joke in the. <laughs> I don't think I resonate with like bad dads without some sort of redemption, and so that's part of it too. Is that there's no redemption for his character, and there's no redemption for him, like. It's too vague about what his awakening is at the end, and so it just seems empty. So that's, to me, the biggest reason I don't like this movie, I think, is that the the character arc, I don't resonate with it, and then it doesn't go somewhere compelling at the end. Yeah, it's funny because my dad, actually, he's the same way. He can't stand movies where there's, like, bad parents in it. I thought he would love Tree of Life, but he couldn't stand it because he just hated Brad Pitt's character so much. And I don't think I fall into that Really, I mean, I don't think, I mean, like you said, we both have good dads and I don't think I can, you know, empathize with what he's going through. And maybe that's some of the reasons why maybe this movie doesn't connect with me. But then also I look at something like Royal Tenenbaums or like a lot of Wes Anderson movies and I'm like, I totally get it. Again, don't have that sort of relationship with my parents at all. I still totally empathize with those characters. I think the problem this movie has is that it's it's a journey towards a father and then you get to the end and you have that 30 minutes of character development all at once. And then it's pitched as a reconciliation story or a, a there's going to be some sort of satisfying conclusion, good or bad. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it's just a letdown. And so instead of being a running away from bad dad to find another father, that's another type of story. There's none of that. It's I'm going to go meet my dad. Oh, he's disappointing. Right. Which is a disappointing story, even though that might be what it's like to really meet your dad if he's an absent father. Uh, it's just kind of a sad ending. And then the pivot to life is good doesn't make any sense. Yeah, again, I, I think I really appreciate the themes that he's going for and what he's trying to do. And I think this movie really could be a great movie. It's also weird because I misremembered parts like, I could have sworn there were scenes in this that I saw the first time I watched it that aren't in it again. Like I thought 
the whole confrontation with his dad in the space station lasted so much or on the spaceship lasted so much longer than it actually did. And that there was this whole like argument about what was worth looking for and like that his dad fought him against leaving. Do you remember that too? Or am I just... It just feels like there should be more of that. Yeah, I was expecting it to be longer as well. He just kind of meekly goes with him and it's kind of super disappointing. Yeah. How powerless he is. Mm -hmm. That's the whole thing. Like, right, his sad dad ending and then he looks at the earth and decides to jump back onto the ship using his groovy spaceboard. But why? Why should he go on? It's never explained. It's never answered why. Oh, there were pretty pictures of planets. Space is beautiful. I should live life. And it's like, not. it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in summation, how do you think this compares to Apocalypse Now? Not in sense of quality, but in sense of material. Bad. <laughs> bad dad. Not strip. in sense bad of quality, <laughs> but in sense of material. Bad dad's true. What does that mean? How do you think they both use kind of the subject material of Joseph Conrad's book? I don't think this movie uses the subject material of Joseph Conrad's book. That's why we put it in this episode. I'm serious. This is my theory. And this is why I I pushed for this being in this episode, even though it technically doesn't qualify. He goes around saying that this is an adaptation of Heart of Darkness. I don't think he's read the book. Or maybe he's read the book, but I don't think it's primarily inspired by this because I see so many things that are pulled that I know are things, I haven't read the book, but I know are things that were novel to the adaptation, to Apocalypse Now. And so I just think he's, that's the intellectual thing, like going around the, the oh, I'm not doing a ripoff of Apocalypse Now, I'm doing an adaptation of Heart of Darkness, which the best adaptation was already the making of Apocalypse oh Now. But that's obvious. Everyone knows that. So I, I just think he's pulling from this movie. So I don't think he's pulling from the, because it's so uncompelling, and the father story is so forced onto it that it's just like, I'm not sure he was inspired by the book at all. I think he was just trying to sound smart at parties. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, should we move on to trivia and challenge? Yes, I have one question. Though. Okay. Is, the, is this movie objectivist or Scientologist? Possibly. What do you mean? Especially objectivist. So, Ayn Rand... Uh, this whole idea that you have to, I would say more Scientologist, like, and there's movies that people are like, is this Scientologist? This whole, mm-hmm. like, you have to be emotionless thing. There's just a weird, a weird feeling about feelings in this that seems very strange. It comes from a strange place. Yeah. And if he was trying to say, show more emotion, he would have had him show more emotion at the end, you know? It just gives us a strange vibe because it's like against. Showing your emotion. It does feel like a speculatively emotional film. Like you're saying it as looking at it more from like a theoretical sense than actually how emotion feels. Yeah, it's not a very emotive movie about emotions. Mm -hmm. And so it sort of is like, is this a cult thing? (laughs) It's not. But that's the sort of level of confusion I had about this movie. All right. Well, here are your questions. Which of these Academy Awards was the film nominated for? And it's one. Which one of these? A, costume design. B, lead actor. C, sound design. Or D, cinematography. Cinematography. Final answer? Yep. 
Incorrect. It is sound design. That was my second. Yep. Uh, the space movies always get them. You know, this doesn't do anything particularly novel with that bit. I think it does some it interesting okay. stuff with um, like some of the space travel things and the stuff on the moon is pretty impressive that they do. All right. Question number two. Which of these theoretical principles does the film not address? A, the Fermi paradox. B, space elevators. C, the final border. Or D, stellar engines. Well, I think that is stellar engine to get out there. Uh, Fermi paradox. I think you're saying it does talk about it because it talks about why is there no life, right? That's the Fermi paradox. It's like, well, where are they? But it doesn't answer that at all. It just says we're alone, which is strange. We didn't even address this, but it's very strange that they're like, all right, we scanned for 10 minutes, or we scanned for a couple years, and now we know there is no life out there. It's like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. That is not how it works. That's not how space is. But anyway, yeah, Fermi Paradox definitely you're dealing with. What's the second one? Space elevators. Space elevators. Ob- well, actually, yeah, space elevators. Space elevator. The antenna is a space elevator, stupidly. What's next? The final border. Nothing about the final border. Yeah, the final border, final answer. Incorrect. It is actually the stellar engine. So they don't use Okay. The, stellar engine is the harnessing the sun to launch um like basically spacecraft further. But they do talk about the final border because that's one of the things that I think his father mentions of saying there's all these planets that we can never have access to and that we can never get to. Oh, yeah. Yep. I thought it was implied they had some sort of weird drive vaguely described drive on the on the spaceship but that's fine well that is the other thing that doesn't really make sense of the spaceships should be more advanced if they can go that far out it doesn't make sense that they have that much fuel and are able to go and also the fact that he can travel that from mars to neptune in three months is insane yeah and they are basically modified like rockets we have now they're different clearly but they're the same type of fuel technology the geography of space doesn't make sense. And that's what's so strange. It's like you have this wonderful opportunity to really show the descent into darkness, and instead you just ignore space geography. But whatever. <laughs> I'm surprised that they don't play with like light and dark more, like the further he gets out, warmth, all that sort of stuff. Anyway. There's a, a little bit of it, but not really. Right, yeah. right. All right, question number three. Who provided an uncredited rewrite of the voiceover dialogue? A. Charlie Kaufman, B, Spike Jones, C, Damien Chazelle, or D, Terrence Malick? Damien Chazelle, final answer. Incorrect. It's actually Charlie Kaufman, which is crazy. That's insane, dude. Yes. I can't see him doing such a lazy job. You watch Adaptation and you're like, how on earth is this the dialogue that he wrote for it? It's wild. I've gotten zero correct so far. <laughs> this movie hates me. And you hate the and movie. I hate this movie. Yes. So it works out. Oh, we didn't even say, we, we forgot to talk about whether it's a remake or ripoff, but it's pretty well, clear we both think it's a ripoff. That's kind of why I was asking you at the end of like the ripoff thing. But yeah, it is a ripoff. All right, here is your challenge. I really hope this is a credible source, but Space News listed the 11 must-see space movies for anyone serious about space. Can you list them? Well, I'm not serious about space. Um, 2001. Yes, 2001 is number three. Gravity. Yes, gravity is number nine. Moon. Uh, Moon is not on here. 
Interstellar? I don't mm-hmm. think Interstellar is on that list. Yep. Interstellar, Interstellar okay. is number five. Contact. Contact is number eight. There are four true stories on here. Oh, uh, First Man. First Man is number six. And uh, The Right Stuff, obviously. Right Stuff is number four. Apollo 13. Apollo 13 is number one. There's two of these, maybe three of these, that don't really feature space that much. Sunshine? No. Should be on there. Um, Solaris? No. One of them is one of the historical ones. Rocket Man? No. Not Rocket Man. It's not Rocket Man. Yeah. Elton John? <laughs> Rocket Man? Uh, no, that was thinking of a stupid comedy. No, no, no. Um, October Skies. Yes. October Sky is number 10. The Martian. Yes. Martian is number Martian. two. So there's another true story and then another sci-fi film that both you and I love that is also fairly recent by one of your favorite modern directors. Did I, I said Gravity and Interstellar. Mm-hmm. I don't really think of this as a space movie, but I definitely think of it as a sci-fi movie. Does it have any space in it? I can't remember, honestly. I've only seen it once. The True Story one is about NASA. Oh, uh, Hidden Figures. Yes. Number seven. And now you just have number 11. Are you looking up 2016 space movies? I am not. Think I'm not looking up 2016 space movies. You're looking up 2016 sci-fi movies. One of your favorite directors. One of your favorite directors. My favorite directors. Yes. It's on my list. Yes. My automatic see in space yes. list. No, your and automatic it's... seeing of just period, director period. Okay. And he just so, recently did a space movie. But it's not Dune, obviously, and it's not Blade Runner. It's Arrival. Yes. Arrival is number 11. One. That is a good one. So I'm going from one to or 11 to one is Arrival. October Sky, Gravity, Contact, Hidden Figures, First Man, Interstellar, The Right Stuff, 2001 A Space Odyssey, The Martian, and Apollo 13. Pretty solid list. I was trying to find um, a list that had Ad Astra on it, but none of them do. It's because it's not good. We just established this. Spoilers for people that listen to this episode (laughs) in reverse order. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that finishes us up for this episode. What a bad movie. <laughs> this is John's take takeaway from this whole episode is he doesn't like this movie. I mean, he knew that beforehand. So we didn't learn anything at the end. Just like this movie. We didn't learn anything. I went in actually expecting to like it more. Honestly, I did. Mm-hmm. And I just hated it again. Because like you said, like you said, it's close to being one of my favorite movies. And then, but then everything falls apart at the end. I think I appreciate it. I appreciated it a bit more than the first time I watched it, but I don't think I'd watch it again. Anyway, that is our Ad Astra episode. Our next film that we'll be covering is Frankenweenie slash Frankenstein. I know this is a movie that John was not wanting on this list, but as always, please make sure to follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all of that good sort of stuff. You can find us at Rules of the Frame. That's a great place for you to contact us if you have any questions, comments, concerns, any of that sort of stuff. Or if you want to recommend a film too, who knows, we might end up covering it. Also, it'd be great if you could review us on iTunes. That just helps to make our show so much more visible. 
And now you can actually rate shows on Spotify. If you're on the app on your phone, you can scroll up to the top. There's a little star up there. That's where you can give a rating. That just helps us out so much. Or if you just want to share us with family and friends too, we also really appreciate that. Got to say thanks to John for the use of the graphic and Caden Reed, Ethan Stafford, and Luke Hogan for the use of the theme song and the outro. This has been Film Analysis for a Modern Audience. Mm-hmm.